Revolution Church Podcast. Before we begin, we'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Hello, Minneapolis. Good to see you, Chuck. Wow. I'm the welcoming committee today. Good morning. So good to see you. Good morning. Oh, good morning, Bob. Good to see you. Um, <clears throat> my favorite part. How was your week? Um, well, welcome. As you notice, Caleb is missing. We're missing Caleb. Where is Caleb? Um, is he? Nope, he's not back there. Um, so Caleb this morning is, uh, he's been working a ton on doing new visuals for Revolution and um, helping us get our graphics ready and helping us get, um, hello Orlando, um, helping us get a new look for the, for the service bumpers and all sorts of fun things, music, etc. blah, 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 blah. And also help us get, um, get on different channels. What? Different channels? Yeah, so it looks like we'll probably be on YouTube. We'll definitely be on Facebook. And there's a couple other ones we may be on, a couple other social medias that this might be live on uh, starting next week. But Caleb spent all night turning and twisting knobs and getting this whole thing, you know, getting today ready and we were going to use the new camera. But he just got so, he's such a perfectionist that he was up all night that we just decided like, I was like, dude, you need to sleep. He was just exhausted. And I was like, let's just do it next week and we'll promote it. And, and, um, and you get some sleep because he was worn out. He needed some sleep. You know, me and him both deal with mental health issues. And when we don't sleep, it Tough stuff just gets even harder, you know? So, Revolution is a church of grace. So if you stay up all night working on stuff, you need to get sleep. And so, he's resting at home. He might join us. Who knows? We'll see. But I um, told him to get some rest. Hopefully, he's he's resting. Um, so so we had to replace Caleb, obviously, but not not only one person can, 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 can uh, be replace Caleb we needed three so we have Dave Gahan from Depeche Mode and Darth Vader which really has I feel very strong connection to and a tiger my kids tiger so you know I feel like those three can can embody Caleb today so there's Caleb's replacements for the day like any good talk show you know you have to have a co-host anyway um, man, what a crazy week. I don't know if any of you guys saw the article that came out um, yesterday in the New York Times. Um, it, was, it was really good. Um, it was, uh, oh gosh, why is it? Rick Joyner. Rick Joyner and his daughter and his kids. Uh, and it talked about how his kids were all more left-leaning, he's more conservative, more evangelical, kind of obsessed with the end of the world, and he had talked about, he had talked about maybe a civil war would be coming. Strangely enough, he did that on my dad's show, um, but it was kind of between his daughter and Rick in a conversation, and it was really great, because you don't get to see that every day, and it was, it really hit home for me, because, you know, what I loved about the article was is how the family still loved each other, you know, and they were trying, how do we confront this huge disagreement, ones that we could even see as being dangerous to people. And, and it, you know, it was, it was really a great article. So if you get on New York Times, get a check, go on New York Times and check out that article. 
about Rick Joyner and his family. Um, it's really good. It's really good. I really related to it a lot. And I'm glad people are talking about it. And um, because it is complicated. There's family is full of contradictions. We all deal with it. And when you are in the family of pastors, family, and you're a pastor yourself, and you go into the family business, if you will, and then you come into huge theological disagreements and different opinions on where the church should be and what is safe and what's not safe and what's cool and what's not cool, and it gets really tough. Um, and then when you have love in that, when you still love each other, and it's not easy to write each other off, it, it becomes a very exhausting, hard road to walk that I find not a lot of people have empathy for. And I think it might be because it's something that they don't go through um, or they don't see. I'm so often usually have people asking me to speak out against my father rather than be in a relationship with him. And right now, to be honest with you, I'm working more on that, of having a relationship with him than I am worried about. I mean, I am worried about his theology, but I'm sure he's worried about my theology too. Um, But, you know, trying to deal with the point at hand there. It's very easy to throw each other under the bus. It's much harder to show grace and love and try to have understanding. Um, It's interesting because often people who are friends of mine who talk about my dad on social media and stuff, I'm always curious about that because I'm like, you know, you could just call me and maybe I could set up a meeting for you guys to talk. I mean, that is part of our religion, right, is that we talk to each other before we go after each other publicly. Um, so I hope, I hope that that article helps people have a little bit more empathy and also helps people, you know, realize that we're all going through this together. I thought it was a really good look at how family works in this country. Um, anyway, it's a great article. Check it out. Um, so lots of horrible things happening in the United States. The Voting Act and everything that's going on in Georgia is really sad. It's really tough because I love Atlanta. I grew up there. Spent most of my 20s there and a bit of my teens there and uh, really got revolution off. Started for me there. Um, we started in Arizona, but it was really me taking the reins in, in Atlanta. So it's tough to see all that's happening. And hopefully we'll all be loud enough and make a change. Um, but that's not all what I'm talking about today. So anyhow... Um, Long, long, you know, having two toddlers and being a single dad and or you know a co-parent, and so you take turns, is exhausting. And so last night I was like having a hard time with my talk, and I was talking to somebody, and they reminded me that give yourself grace, Jay. You are a father of two little ones. You're doing your best, so make sure you give yourself grace. And that really helped a lot. It just it's funny that sometimes when somebody just tells you to do that. And remind you that that's what you're, you do for other people, that you should do that for yourself, then that's pretty, pretty amazing. And nicotine. Um, also, last week, how about last week, everybody? We only have half the viewers that we had last week, because last week was the bomb. Um, Steve Peters was great. If you missed last week, it's now. You can download it anywhere. You can watch it below me. You can go on YouTube and watch it. You can listen to it anywhere you podcast um, for Revolution Church. Um, that was just such an encouraging week. Steve encouraged the hell out of me, um, literally and figuratively, um, <laughs> reminding me of, of the important work that my mother accomplished. Um, oh, man, there was this one moment where he was just talking about where my mom had this realization that you know he was a Christian too and stuff, and it just... It blew my mind because I just I saw that lived out in her life afterwards, and I kind of had that same epiphany in an in MCC church. And, oh, it was just a great. It was last week was great. It was one of my favorite revolution gatherings that we've had. Um, so please check that last week's talk, share it with your friends, retweet it. You know, it, I think it's special for me too, is because most people, when they think of the Baker family history, they don't they don't focus on the positive. You know, they don't look at the things that were really well done. And so it's nice to have that. You know, people are complex. People are full of contradictions, and we all have different moments in our lives where we shine and we fail and we screw up. And I think that's what I hate about the social media world is it's like you know, 
somebody gets taped for five minutes losing their shit, taking off their mask or something, and, and that's their life and what they're known for. Um, but it's nice to be able to see the complexities of humanity in each other's lives and, and, and the grace in our lives and the failures. I mean, we see it all. That's just human. It's messy. It's messy being a human being. And it's tough. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, we also have a new logo. My friend Chris Ammons, uh, the amazing uh, graphic designer uh, who did our last logo with the wings, which was, um, I guess, our second logo ever. He did that one. He redesigned it, made it a little bit more punk rock, a little bit more simple. I um, really love that. If you guys look, like here it says, like, it says Revolution Facebook. Um, this will be Revolution um, gathering. Um, so it, the, the logo works to also tell you, cause we're gonna do like teaching classes and it'll be revolution teaching, you know, uh, revolution, Twitter, revolution, Instagram, you know, it kind of tells you where you are and what we're doing. I can't take a uh, complete, complete, uh, uh, I did not come up with that idea. That was Pete Rollins, Pete Rollins idea. So if that fails for you guys, miserable and confuses you, it was Pete Rollins, uh, idea. If, if you, if you love it, then that was my idea. And so you can give me credit for it. Um, so what do you think about that? Um, yeah, so new logo. Excited about that. Um, so back to social media. So I was on Twitter this week, and um, whenever my kids watch shows, I kind of scroll. Or at night when they're laying in bed, I doom scroll, as I've heard it called. Um, but I saw a tweet from one of my favorite musicians, uh, David Bazan. So you guys might be familiar with David Bazan. He also does Pedro the Lion. And man, I, I, I love his music. It's always challenges me and touches me in amazing ways and always moves me and takes me to special places. I remember one time I interviewed, uh, David for, uh, this is RadioCast, which, by the way, This is RadioCast is back online. Um, we're not doing any new episodes right now, but all those episodes are back online, too. So uh, Caleb also helped me get those back online. So a lot of really cool interviews on that, uh, including David Bazan. And so there was one song called Strange Negotiations, and I was asking him some of the meanings behind his songs, and then I went to ask him the meaning, and I said, you know what? That song means so much to me that I don't really want to know the literal meaning of that song. Because um, there's such a beautiful thing when we we work with art and we identify with art. And I said, you know, because I like what it means to me. And so I told him to just keep the meaning to himself and that I would just let Strange Negotiations be my own song and and, and, and my and his piece of art that I interpret. And so it was, it was pretty cool. But he's a great guy. Um, so he, he tweeted the other day... Um, you know, he's come out of really, he's come out of Christianity, and I don't know exactly where he's at, but um, he, he put this tweet, and it said, um, it said, sinners saved by grace is codependency. And, you know, I get people coming out of the church being angry and, and mad and kind of redoing things and reconstructing and deconstructing, um, but I'm the grace, grace is my thing, I'm a grace guy, I love the message of grace and so I was like oh that's an interesting an interesting way to say it and an interesting way to look at it um, so I, I, I answer back with my thoughts on grace and uh, and that's what I want to talk about is my thoughts on grace is grace codependency and I would say in a simple understanding and maybe with um I would say it seems like a positive. It seems like a good reaction to a Christianity that most of us were raised in, the type of Christianity that most of us were. Because like grace becomes like the the get to heaven card, or you're saved by grace because what Jesus did. You know, this this kind of you know a, a simplistic Christianity that America has embraced. You know, the same one that can say love your enemies and make sure you have a gun to kill somebody. You know what I mean? It's like what it doesn't make sense. Um, that type of Christianity um, that Americans often relate to and look at. But for me, grace is, is not, not codependency as much as it is a, is a self-reliance or acceptance of, of one's self. 
in a way and accepting the lack that we all have that things like um, that we try to fill. You know, I think sin is when we try to fill that lack and that we can't live with that lack. And I really do believe that Christianity is, is a religion that calls us to live with that lack and live with the acceptance of that lack and live, live in with the acceptance of contradictions of life as well and the contradictions of our own lives. And I think grace is the thing that kind of gives us the ability to live within that in life and go through the, you know, those things. Um, but I can see where more of a, 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 a traditional American understanding of Christianity would be like, oh, you get grace so you can, you can lay on Jesus' chest and he'll fill that void, you know. And I think Christianity actually should be leading you to accept that void, not fill the void. That the lack isn't Jesus-shaped lack that fills the lack. Um, it's something that says you're going to live with the lack. Um, and, and so I think that's another reason... I, I struggle with like consumerism, you know, and uh, capitalism is because it always says this product, you know, here we'll sell this pen again. This pen's going to fill that lack, you know, look, it's got everything you need. And then you get it and then you realize, oh man, I need, I need a purple pen too, you know, that lack isn't filled. And so, but you get excited when it comes in on the box. I was at the toy store the other day and there are these dolls that they sell that come with these mystery boxes of all this stuff. But the mystery boxes look like, look just like Amazon packages. <laughs> and so it's the shopping doll that has all these packages and the little kids get to open the packages and like, oh, new shoes, oh, a radio, sunglasses. And I was like, this is like the most capitalist action figure I've ever seen in my life. You know, it's like, what new things came in the mail for you to complete your life today? You know, and obviously they have to sell, they sell sides of just these empty box, these little boxes with stuff in it because the lack is never filled. So you have to buy a new box of six boxes of new surprises so you can be fulfilled. You know, it's like, I don't know if any of you guys know what um, uh, the Funko Pops, you know, they're like these little bobblehead figures and they just make thousands of them. And I always, you know, I used to collect them. And then I think Pete noticed, he's like, are you trying to fill some void? You know, like each pop comes in and you think, oh, this is the one, you know. But of course, then they make another one. Oh, no, this one will make me happy. And this constant need, like, it's like, it's like they bring in psychiatrists to be like, oh, we can make you millionaires if you sell something. But you have to just continue to make little bit of differences, you know. Just change the paint on this one and then people will need that one, you know. Um, so anyway. The lack, um, but so this idea of of, of codependency, I, I've been in codependent relationships. I've been divorced twice, probably because of of, of that. So, um, but I've still stuck with Christianity. Um, and, and why is that? Um, I haven't divorced myself from that yet, but probably would if it was very codependent. Um, but I had to go deeper. I had to go deeper into the faith and to the, the religion of Christianity and into the theology of Christianity. And one of those people who took me there would be Paul Tillich. Um, and Paul Tillich is one of the greatest philosophers of the 20th century, including also one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century. He's a German philosopher who moved to America because he was kicked out by Nazis. So, I mean, that's cool, right? Um, and, and so he has a collection. He also did sermons at, at, at his schools and taught stuff. And he went to Union Seminary. He taught at Union Seminary. Um, but uh, this, is, this is one of his books I have. This is an older original copy, I think, of Shaking the Foundations by Paul Tillich. And what we're going to do is kind of look over just a smidgen of his talk. I'm going to do some classes where we put together maybe like a class. Each class will go through three of his talks and maybe really deconstruct them and, 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 and pull them apart and examine them And because uh, I think they're worth it. And I think that's something they're, they're often overlooked because they're like, you know, too simple for the philosophers, you know, and maybe not too simple, for, maybe too simple for the theologians. They like to read their, like, his like systematic theology, which is really complicated. But then he's got all this work out there that like, I feel like not a lot of people look at. And I um, 
Pete Rollins got me into this, but actually the first person that I actually heard this about this talk from was Brendan Manning. Um, and so we're going to talk a little bit about what is grace today through, through the lenses of Paul Tillich and the Apostle Paul and Jay Baker. Um, what is grace? Um, one of my favorite quotes on grace was by my mate, Pete Rollins. Um, a couple of years ago, I was in, in Belfast at a, an event of his called Wake, which actually he's doing online this year. So you guys should check out this. Uh, go check out Peter Rollins' Wake this year and attend. I'm going to try to go to Belfast and, and do with it if, if the virus allows me to, um, if, if travel is okay by that time. But yeah, you should really attend it. It's really amazing. But anyway, so I was just sitting there and, you know, he, you know your best friend's talking, so you're kind of half listening. And, um, and he said this thing, and I, and I was in the middle of the depths of the darkness of my life, going to just, about, I think, about a, almost a year out from my separation from my, my, my second wife. And, um, and Pete says this, Ally goes, uh, he says, grace is freedom from the pursuit of happiness. You know, not freedom to the pursuit of happiness, but grace is freedom from the pursuit of happiness. And I mean, I grabbed my notebook, writing it down as though I'm never going to see Pete again, you know, but writing this down going like, wow, you know, because the pursuit of happiness is like something that's destroyed me in my life. This capitalistic ideal of having the right life and having the right things and having everything to fill this lack has nearly destroyed me. And so this idea of this freedom from that that grace was that made me see grace in a different way. And also this, and, and some of you, if you know me well, I've probably told you to Google this, the sermon that I'm about, parts I'm about to read from the sermon because it's so good. It's called You Are Accepted and you can Google it and get it on a f- file. It's free online and it's really worth reading the whole thing. Um, when we do the classes, we'll, we'll send out a, a, the files of all the sermons so you can read those too. But... Um, so let's let's kind of dive into Paul Tillich right now, and um, listen to the dyslexic pastor read a little bit from Tillich's work, and see if we can uh, make some sense out of it. Okay, buckle up. Um, for other people, grace indicates the gift that one has received from nature or society, and the power to do good things with the help of those gifts, right? But grace is more than a gift. In grace, something is overcome. Grace incurs in spite of something. Did you hear that? Grace occurs in spite of something. So it's not just like this, come on in and lean on me and you're forgiven and you're loved. You know, it's like, this is in spite of yourself that grace happens, in spite of something. And most people are in spite of sin, right? Now, let's, let's listen. Let's listen. In spite of something. Grace occurs in spite of separation and estrangement. But estrangement from what? Let's look and see what he says. Grace is the reunion of life with life. And that makes that, I mean, if you think about uh, Peter's, Pete's quote, grace is freedom from the, the pursuit of happiness. You know, life with life, it kind of restores life to life. It allows us to live life on life's terms in a way, which which is a really beautiful thing because, man, all the expectations we have and all these false narratives we create in our, our world and all these horrible expectations that we crush ourselves with are just kind of taken away by grace. Um, the reunion with life. The reconciliation of the self with itself. Grace is the acceptance of that which is rejected. And we often, in, in, in society, what, one, of the, one of the things we do is we reject, we, we reject sadness, we reject suffering, we reject these things because we're told that we're supposed to live in a country where we're going to be happy and we're going to take care of our lives and, and we're going to find peace and all this stuff, 
And it's a funny thing. I was thinking about this the other day, the, the concept of the peace that passes all understanding. Why is that so amazing? Well, because it passes understanding. Because when we're suffering, there's peace within that suffering. It's not saying a peace that gets rid of your suffering and makes you feel great and gets you a full night's sleep. No, it's just saying there's a peace even in the midst of the darkness. Even in the dark night of soul, there may be some peace there. Why are you trying to make Christianity so difficult, Ed says. I know, it's, it's a difficult religion, unfortunately, that we've all just decided to really try to simplify and uh, put it in a little box and say, here you go, Christianity, solve all your problems. Christianity 2.0 will really solve all your problems. Um, but I, I think Ed has a good point, is that we really do try to simplify Christianity into the point where we have so much bad theology, and I don't mean this as, as a, a put-down to my friends, um, who, who have rejected Christianity because a lot of them have done, it, done a great job of rejecting Christianity. Um, but some of them, not all of them, but some of them I find have rejected really shitty theology and really dual, dual, dialectic, not dialectic thinking, but dualistic thinking of just this or that, you know, and, 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 and not realize that there's a tension that some of us live in that has both of this and that and a bunch of other things entwined in, in it. But uh, this, this, I think we should reject a lot of the, the traditional American Christianity. I think, honestly, I would go as far as to call it heresy. Um, they've all called me heretics for years, so I feel like I can return the favor at this point. Um, but I think it is a type of heresy. And it's something that doesn't really last. It's something that doesn't really work. Um, and, and I think being disillusioned at the end is the foregone conclusion that we should probably really realize is that's where it's headed. Um, so here we go. Um, we'll read a little bit more on this. Grace is the acceptance of that which is rejected. Grace transforms fate into meaningful destiny. You know, uh, grace transforms, I'm going to read that again, transforms fate into meaningful destiny. It changes guilt into, into confidence and courage. There is something triumphant in the word grace. In spite of the abounding of abundance of sin, grace abounds much more. And he's actually talking about that verse where Paul says that. And, and so, and we'll look at that word sin again in a minute, but but I love this idea that changes guilt into confidence, and you know, because I've lived most of my life in guilt. And now, if there's a reason why most of us preach something, it's usually because it's something that we struggle with. And guilt was something I struggled through my whole life with, always feeling guilty, always feeling crappy. And through a lot of really good therapy and a lot of good theology and a lot of good philosophy, I realized that this guilt was bullshit that I was living in. And in the past couple of years, I've really grasped onto this idea of courage. I, I'm a recovering people pleaser, you know. Also, I had the defense mechanism of when people would attack me, I'd always be like, you're right, I'm a piece of shit. You know, I'm crap, I'm horrible, I shouldn't have done that, you know. And now, I'm released from that, and I've, I've taken that, that, I've taken that guilt and that shame and allowed it to be in an area of confidence. Like, no, I, I don't care about that. Or no, that doesn't matter to me. Or, oh, I'm sorry that offended you, but this is why I believe this. You know, it's allowed me to find peace with who I am. So not for me to be dependent on Jesus or to be dependent on pastors or, or theologians or philosophers or whatever that. I mean, I like those guys a lot. But it allowed me to find the courage within myself to be who I am and to not apologize to every human being out there. Um, and, and, and constantly think I'm, I'm uh, horrible. It gave me the courage to, to do that. Um, grace, in spite of the ab abounding sin, grace abounds much more. I'm going to read a little more Tillich. I'm reading a little more than I'm usually comfortable with today, but we're going to do it anyway, because why not? And now let us look down into ourselves to discover there is a struggle between separation and reunion. Did you hear that? There's a separation between. There's a struggle between separation and reunion. Between sin and grace. And our relation to others and our relation to ourselves and to our relationship to the ground and, and aim of our being. 
If our souls respond to the description that I intend to give, words like sin and separation, grace and reunion may have new meaning for us. You hear that? Grace might have new meaning for us. Reunion may have new meaning for us. Separation and even the word sin. So, I mean, Tillich is really looking deep within this. He's taken a philosophical look and he's taken a theological look. And I'm sure he understands the historic backgrounds of, of these stories and of these words and the Greek and the Hebrew and, and all that stuff. So it's, it's really incredible when you have a great thinker, a great theologian, a well-educated person allow, helping us understand some of these things um, that we are not willing to or not able to, to look deeply in. Um, into and and or we just didn't want to take the time and like oh, I'll just read the Bible for face value, and when you read the Bible with face value, the problem is is that usually it's just about a sixth grade understanding because you're not really taking much in. You're just kind of taking the face value ideas, and that's when you end up with this kind of simplistic Christianity that actually becomes very destructive. And then the book starts to be looked at as like this law book and a science book and all this kind of stuff, and that's a hor- horrific way to to approach the Bible. Um. I got to keep my place here. So, okay. So, grace and reunion, we may have new meanings for us, but these words themselves are not important. It is the response of the deepest levels of our being that is important. So, we're really doing some inside work, some really doing some self work here. If such a response were to occur among us at the moment, we could say that we have known grace. And I think all of us would like to know grace, to truly experience it. Who has not at some time been lonely in the midst of a social event? Now, as an introvert, I'm always lonely in the most social events. The feelings of our separation from the rest of life, most acute when we are surrounded by its noise and talk. We realize that We realize then, much more than any moment of solitude, how strange we are to each other. How estranged life is from life. And I think estrangement is a great thing, is that we are all separated through these bodies. We are estranged from one another. How estranged life is from life. So when you're in a crowd, you can feel the loneliness so much more than when you're in solitude, because when you're in solitude, you're with yourself, you're in connection with one. You know, when you're with other people, you realize there's this this just complete disconnect, uh, an estrangement. Life from life. Each of us draw back into themselves. We cannot penetrate the hidden center of another individual. You know, we can't know one another's thoughts. We can't feel one another's faults. I mean, you know, we can be empathetic and, and feel something, but we can't experience what the other has experienced. Um, and that's tough work when you think about it. And I, and I think that's why we all just kind of separate back and why we like to judge so much and point fingers so much and, 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 and cancel each other and do all those other things is because we can't even conceive, but we don't even conceive why or what or who is going on inside the other. We cannot penetrate the hidden center of another individual, nor can that individual pass beyond the shroud that covers our own being. Even the great love, even the greatest love, cannot break through the walls of the self. Who has not experienced that delusion, delusionment of all great love? You know, we can't even know our closest lover and the person we care about the most in the world, our children even. You know, we can't, we can't get past that moment. You know, even the greatest love cannot break through the walls of the self. So we're, we're really dissecting grace today. This might be a much, much for some folks today. Uh, I'm going to get a little heavier on this. But this concept of not being able to understand the other completely. And this is where grace comes in great for us, but also where it comes in amazing as well for others. Um, I'm going to jump in, 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 in Tillich's sermon over here a bit. Um, about this. It is important to remember that we are not merely separated from each other, for we are also separated from ourselves. Man against himself is not merely the title of a book, but rather also indicates uh, 
the rediscovery of an age-old insight, man is split within themselves. Life moves against itself through aggression, hate, and despair. We are wont to condemn self-love, but we rarely mean to condemn its contrary to self-love. It is that mixture of selfishness and self-hate that permanently pursues us, that prevents us from loving others. Do you hear that? Self-hate prevents us from loving others. And that prohibits us from losing ourselves in the love with which we are loved eternally. He who is able to love himself is able to love others also. He who has learned to overcome self-contempt has overcome his contempt for others. You know, it's interesting to think about that because, you know, often when we have contempt for others, it's a contempt for ourselves. It's a hurt from ourselves. We're also just often redirecting, you know, and projecting onto others our own contempt for ourselves. We see this in, 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 in failures of marriage all the time. Um, you know, there becomes this contempt for each other, but often it's not even, you know, it, and then they, you know, but then you go to marriage counseling and you realize they're thinking one thing, you're thinking another thing, you know, you, maybe you're not on the same page and sometimes it's able to be fixed and stuff like that. And the reason those are able to be fixed is because that self-contempt is literally just that. It's contempt for thyself and it's not the contempt towards the other. Um, and this is grace. Grace is heavy. Grace is not just a sweet little song. Grace is not just a sweet, cute little idea. Grace is not just codependence on big, big J, J, big G or big J. You know, um, it, it, it's about self acceptance, and it's it's pretty heavy stuff. I was actually surprised how many people liked I, the comment I made because I talked about it. It actually has to do with self acceptance. Some people call it salvation. Some people could call it self acceptance. Um, but the depth of our separation lies in just the fact that we, that we are not capable of great or merciful divine love towards ourselves. On the contrary, in each of us there is instinct of self-destruction, which is strong as our instinct of self-preservation. And I do believe that. I've realized how much of my life, you know, I had to really get into therapy and, and, and even realize that like my unconscious had, had moments of just constantly trying to just self-destruct myself where I either wanted to be humiliated unconsciously or I wanted to disappoint or I didn't want my career to go a certain way unconsciously and so the self-destruction button just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and I realized I was becoming my own greatest enemy you know I was tricking myself to do the wrong things um, so in our tendency to abuse and destroy our others, there is an open or hidden tendency to abuse and destroy ourselves. Cruelty towards others, and this is one of my favorite quotes of Tillich, cruelty towards others is always, is always also cruelty towards ourselves. So when we're cruel to others, when we, when we see people who are angry and we see racists, uh, which are easy one to point out, or we see the angry conservative or we see the angry liberal or we see these people who are so full of anger or the people on social media who just can't they're just damn angry you know and can be cruel we don't realize is that that cruelty is often a cruelty that they're putting towards themselves as well and it also often you'll see it just these these people who put up these high standards that no one can live up to and you see these communities develop and then you just see these communities become divided and and and, and full of just like Toxic. Everybody talks about toxic situations. Um, toxic situations are usually these high expectations that we have on ourselves and then we put onto others and then we just implode because we all can't be conservative enough or we all can't be liberal enough or woke enough or Christian enough, you know, um, or whatever enough. You know, it's always like trying to these damn expectations, right? Nothing is more obvious than the split in both our unconscious life and our conscious personality. Without the help of modern psychology, listen to this, Paul expressed the fact in his famous words, and this is like a, like a psychologist, look at this, as like 
kind of history and psychology and philosophy. Paul was not a dumb person, the apostle we're talking about. Um, Without the help of modern psychology, Paul expressed the fact that his famous words for, I do not do the good I desire, but rather the evil that I do not desire. And then he continued in words that might well be the motto of all depths of psychology. Now, if I should do what I do not wish to do, is it not I that do it, but rather the sin who dwells within me? The apostle sensed a split between his consciousness, will, and his real will, between himself and something strange within him and alien to him. He was estranged from himself, and that estranged estrangement he called sin. So this is what Paul is calling sin, is the estrangement. He's saying this unconsciousness, this the divide within me, my unconscious is, is going against my own will, and this is what he's calling sin. So I'm saying trying to fill this lack, you know. He's saying trying to, to this contradiction that lies within him. Um, and what I say is we can confront this contradiction, but there also, I just want to make it very clear, uh, given my little bit of knowledge of Hegel, is that I don't think we'll ever be free completely from contradiction, ever. And, but we can learn to have grace for that contradiction. And that's probably why it's called good news. Um, he is estranged himself, and the estrangement he called sin. He also called it strange. Uh, he also called it a strange law in his limbs, an irresistible compulsion. How often we commit certain acts in, <clears throat> in perfect consciousness, yet with the shocking sense that we are being controlled by the alien power. You know, like, I mean, we just do stuff. We, we sabotage, self-sabotage is what Paul's talking about. That is the experience of the separation of ourselves from ourselves, which is to say sin, whether or not we like to use that word. Now, I like that because he's saying that there is this, this, this that the ex- experience of the separation of ourselves from ourselves is what he's calling sin, this battle with the conscious and the unconscious. And what I like that, 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 that Tillich points out here is he goes, whether or not we like to use that word. So he's saying this is the same word that a lot of people use for this conflict that we have with conscious and unconscious. And Paul's saying, I have chosen to call this word sin. So when you start to take this like realistic look, an in-depth educated look, but still a very realistic look of what these words actually mean, they all of a sudden don't belong to this magical world or this spiritual world with, you know, fairy dust and uh, crystals and, you know, and sage. You know, I mean, it's like, it's beyond that. You know, this is, this is living with life on life's terms. This is things that psychology, much later after this, proved that this actually was in existence and gave them new words and new ideas. So... So this is pretty cool because what it does is it demystifies it in a way. For some of you who need to get away from the mystery or the mystification or the spiritual ideas, those who are going, I'm not really comfortable with religion. Well, you can say, well, guess what? Your religion was actually kind of dealing with some ideas that are actually real that we have to cope with every day. That it's not like your rock music makes you bad, so Jesus will save you from it, you know, or your booze, your drinking, or your, you know, all this sh- shit that like neo-Calvinists preach and Southern Baptists and Assemblies of God and even, you know, even a lot of more open liberal people still, they mystify everything and, and they don't see the reality of like the chemicals in our brains and the pure humanity of who we are, you know, and how this system works. And so the Bible is not this magical book. Often it's just putting magic themes like magical concepts to actual real concepts, real ideas. Uh, rubber does hit the road sometimes. There's some magical thinking in the Bible, and I often reject that. But what I think is interesting is that when you take a deeper look into it, you don't have to say, oh, this is bullshit. You can say, oh, wow, that makes sense. I can still hold on to that. I can still take that with me. You know, you don't have to discredit it in order to be like, oh, I'm done with God, so I'll discredit it, which I think a lot of folks want to do. But what they're rejecting is their shit. They should be rejecting. They should be rejecting shit theology. They should be rejecting bad traditions. Um, 
you know? And if they're saying, well, I just don't have time to read that crap. I just want to live my life. Well, go do that. Live your life. Don't, you know, I'm going to try to read it for you anyway. You know, that's why I have a job is reading boring books. That's my job. Sometimes they're really, I don't find it boring. So I'm, I'm lucky. Um, so I like that idea. So whether you're, whether or not you like to use that word. So you don't have to use the word sin if that makes you, I don't like sin. I don't, but it's actually giving a practical idea to sin. It's not giving some magical rules and regulations to sin of like, well, this is, these are the rules you follow to get into glory land. You know, it's not about that. You know, it's about life before death, my friends. It's about living well and living on life's terms as we all really do have to. Um, that's probably why there's so much disappointment in the promises of a codependent Jesus because you just can't really, it doesn't work either. Codependency just doesn't really work very well. I mean, there's some codependency that's actually good, my therapist told me, but I'm not going to get into all that today, but just so asterisk for some of you. Um, I'm going to jump a little bit further in Tillich's talk. Um, once again, he quotes, quotes of the Apostle Paul. I'm reading two guys talking, named Paul is kind of interesting. Two guys named Paul referring to each other. Um, Tillich says, here he goes, sin is the most profound, sin in its most profound sense. Sin as despair abounds amongst us. When sin abounds, grace did much more abound, as he quotes Apostle Paul. Says Paul in the same letter in which he describes the unnamingly power of separation and self-destruction with society and the individual soul. He does not say these words because sentimental interests demand a happy ending for everything tragic. I love that. He says them because they describe the most overwhelming and determining experience of his life. So now you can relate to Paul. Paul's not just a jackass. Paul's going through some shit. Um, in the picture of Jesus as the Christ, which separated to him, which appeared to him in the moment of his great separation from other men, from himself and God, he found himself accepted in spite of his being rejected. Did you hear that? He found himself, and all of a sudden he has this vision of Jesus, and all of a sudden he feels this acceptance even though he is rejected. Dialectic at work here, folks. Dialectic is very cool, you know, to opposites being true at the same time. The dialectic is a real thing, which also requires a lot of brain thinking. Brain thinking. Uh, and when found that was, when, when he found he was accepted, he was able to accept himself and to be reconciled to others. That's interesting, right? The moment in which grace struck him overwhelmed him. He was reunited with that to which he belonged and from which he was estranged in utter strangeness. And what I want to want to just side note on this is that you see that Paul is being reunified with other people. He's being connected with those he was estranged from. And think about if the church really had grace in it, if it really lived by grace, that the church wouldn't be someone who sits and makes enemies and says who's bad but it would be reconciling with others. It would be a reconciliation. Dr. King, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. got this so well in his work. He saw this, is that it's, it's all about reconnecting, reunifying, um, not being separated by our race, not being separated by our prejudices, but being reconnected through this concept of grace that is a very heavy concept. And I will probably spend the rest of my life studying it and not have it figured out. And I've spent 20 some odd years to get to this point. Um, do we, Tillich says, do we know what it means to be struck by grace? It does not mean that we are suddenly believe that God exists. Did you hear that? Do we know what it means to be struck by grace? It doesn't mean you believe that God suddenly exists, Tillich says. Or that Jesus is the savior or that the Bible contains the truth. So just 
this is someone smarter than all of us probably listening or watching, maybe one or two are, are as smart as Tillich, but, um, but do you hear what he's saying? He says, or Jesus the Savior. Doesn't mean that belief in Jesus as Savior or the Bible contains truth or that God exists. None of this has to do with grace. But when we tell people that that's what, we usually tell people that's what they have to do in order to receive grace, I think that's what we get that codependency that, um, that, that David Bazan was talking about earlier. And that's what we're sold. That's what we're told. That's what we're taught. That's what it's taken from a simplistic understanding and a simplistic reading of, of books in the Bible. To believe that something is is almost contrary to the meaning of grace. I'm going to read that once again. Uh, Paul Tuck says, To believe that something is is almost contrary to the meaning of grace. Furthermore, grace does not mean simply that we are making progress in our moral self-control, in our fight against special faults which we usually see sin as special faults. Doesn't mean we're making any progress in those areas either. And in our relationship to men and to society, moral progress may be the fruits of grace, which I do believe. Moral progress may be the fruits of grace, but it is not grace itself, and it can't, and it can even prevent us from receiving grace. For there is too often a graceless acceptance of Christian doctrine. Now that's my point and that's my work. That the Christian doctrine has been, a, there has been a graceless acceptance of the Christian doctrine. Um, a few weeks ago, someone wrote on here that I seem to be more in love with grace than Jesus. Like, do you love grace more than Jesus? But the fact is, is I could not understand Jesus. I could not understand the gospels, honestly, for years until I really understood Paul's message of grace. But the, the fact is, 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 is Jesus couldn't be on my map without grace. Grace had to come to me. I had to have a moment of grace. And this wasn't like, so I could be in Jesus' arms and be codependent on Jesus. That's um, not what I'm saying. It, it, what, what I'm saying is, is, like, is that it was like this idea of seeing my whole life, this doctrine that seemed of Christianity that lacked complete grace. I mean, I see it, I saw these Southern Baptist uh, guys the other day and they were arguing with somebody about gay rights and all this stuff and saying it wasn't biblical and it wasn't right and it wasn't the truth and they were rejecting the truth and, and they, were, they kept saying they were saying all this stuff out of love and it just obviously to anyone, to any child, it was not love. It was really rudeness and arrogance and proof that they were right uh, and almost a form of, of hatred. Um, that they were doing this, but they were calling it love. And I, what I just wanted to say is, like, you, you, you've, uh, you have a graceless acceptance of, of the Bible. You have a graceless acceptance of this religion. You actually almost have a loveless acceptance of this religion that you just so blindly follow it that love uh, has become counterfeit and has become something else, uh, uh, something that's not actually love but pretends to be love only in name or that pretends to be grace only in name. Um, I think that's why I've never liked that predestination doctrine of grace is because it's like, oh, these people just get it and these people don't. Well, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't really, all of a sudden our minds, no one's involved. We're not involved anymore. Um, it, it doesn't add up for me. And I, I, I know I might be, uh, have some folks here who disagree with me and that's okay. We can maybe have a great debate one day about it. Um, But I like this. I'm going to read it again so much. It says, furthermore, grace does not mean simply that we are making progress or in moral self-control in our fight against specific faults and that our relationship to men and society has gained anything. Moral progress may be the fruit of grace, but it is not grace itself. And it can even prevent us from receiving grace because we think it's a trick. Um, for there is too often a graceless acceptance of Christian doctrine and a graceless battle against the structures of evil in our personalities. Such a graceless relation to God may lead us by necessity either to arrogance or to despair. I want to, I want to say that again. Such a graceless relation to God may lead us by necessity 
either to arrogance or to despair. To despair. And so when we have a graceless religion, when we practice a graceless tradition, when we take grace out of it, and grace is a, is a little thing. I asked my dad when I was, was in my 20s, why didn't you talk about, about grace? He said, because it seemed too good to be true. So in a way, he was practicing a graceless religion, and I feel horrible for him because he always showed grace and love to other people. But what I realized is he was never showing grace and love to himself. So in some way, he had a graceless love, and for him, he was projecting grace and showing grace to others because he so badly wanted it for himself. He accepted others when they screwed up, when they made mistakes. He didn't fire them. He kept them on staff. He kept encouraging them. He kept loving them. So he was able to give it to others, but he was never able to believe it or accept it for himself. And I, I, I wonder this day if it's still a struggle that he battles with. Um, so in this graceless battle against the structures of evil in our personality, such a graceless relation to God may lead us by necessity, either to arrogance or despair. And I think we see so many people full of despair, so many people rejecting the church. Why? Because it's graceless. This is such good stuff, man. Like, honestly, I've, I've watched some of the viewership drop off, and I'm really surprised because this is freaking my bread and butter, man. This is what I love. I love this stuff. Such a graceless relation to God may lead us by necessity either to arrogance or despair. So when you see the arrogance and when you see this despair within humanity, what you're realizing is it's often religion without grace. It's often Jesus without grace. So almost in some way, I would say it's more codependent to be a Christian without grace than with grace because you're dependent on this magic being to tell you what to do and how to do things, and so you're so dependent on how to follow and do this rather than just accepting yourself and saying, maybe this being's there, maybe they're not. Maybe Jesus is real. Maybe Jesus was just a good guy. So I see lots of despair, and I see a lot of damn arrogance too. And we do it too on the left, man. We think, we're the, we, think we have a corner on grace, and we don't, man. We, we become so judgmental, and we start to, you know, like... I would say this about anything. Like, when I see wokeness without grace in it, it pushes me away. You know, when I see movements that I love and that I'm a part of and that I work with, and as soon as grace leaves the door, goes out the door, I start to feel it. And I have to, like, sometimes I just back myself out and go, like, I can't be here anymore because there's no room for being a screw-up. And you know what? I'm a screw-up. I'm a, you know... I screw up already. I, I, I've tried to keep myself from unconscious, my unconscious from screwing me up all the time, but I'm still just haphazardly a human being. And I will be in despair if I don't have grace. If it's a graceless thing, I will be in despair. And you see the arrogance that comes out of a graceless faith. You know, the, the, the arrogance is when you're talking to someone and treating them like a child and acting like you love them. You know, using a 2,000-year-old religious book and acting like you're the smartest person in the room because you have this book that you know very little about. It would be better to refuse God. Now listen to this. This is Paul Tillich, one of the greatest minds of our time. It would be better to refuse God and the Christ and the Bible than to accept them without grace. And I will say I agree with this 100%. If I could be 110%, like if I could add percentiles to that, I would say I agree with that. I think it is much better to reject Christianity altogether, reject the Bible and reject Christianity and Jesus and God and everything else. If, without grace, don't do it. If grace isn't something within there that we've talked about today, if that grace does not exist within that faith, don't have that faith reject that faith. And I honestly feel like that's why most of, a lot of people I know who have rejected and gone away from it is because they've never been able to see the beauty and the complexity of grace within that faith. And they've seen it, seen it graceless most of their lives. I saw it graceless most of my lives. Most of my life. So... Sorry, I'm just kind of moved by it right now. So I haven't read this stuff in such a long time that it was just kind of good to get back to it. I'm really looking forward to doing a class on, on these, a couple of these talks that he gave because they're just really amazing. Um, so what would be better to refuse God and Christ and the Bible than to accept them without grace? For if we accept without grace, we do so in the state of separation and can only succeed in 
deepening the separation. We cannot transform our lives unless we allow them to be transformed by that stroke of grace. Now, I'm leaving out so much good stuff here, so I really do recommend reading You Are Accepted by Paul Tillich. Google it today and read the whole talk because it's really worth it. Um, I'm going to end the talk with my favorite part. Actually, I loved it so much that I put it at the end of um, um, Fall to Grace. I think in the end of Fall to Grace, I put part of this Tillich sermon in at the very end, and and this was the part that I put in the book. So I'm going to read it here. This is, is Tillich on grace. It strikes us when our disgust for our own being, our indifference, our weakness, our hostility, and our lack of direction and composure have become intolerable to us. It strikes us when year after year, the longed for perfection, now listen to this, year after year, the longed for perfection of life does not appear. When the old compulsions reign within us, as they have for decades, when despair destroys all joy and courage, and I've been there. I mean, I was there a couple years ago when I tried to take my life. I'll read that again. When despair destroys all joy and courage. Sometimes at that moment, a wave of light breaks into our darkness, and it is though a voice were saying, you are accepted, you are accepted, accepted by that which is greater than you. In the name of which you do not know. So it's not saying, it comes in as Jesus whispering in your ears. It's in a name you do not know. Do not ask for the name, nor perhaps will you find, perhaps you will find it later. Do not try anything now. Perhaps later you will do much. Do not seek for anything. Do not perform anything. Do not intend anything. Simply accept the fact that you are accepted. That's another one of my main life and goals is helping others accept that they are accepted. You are accepted. So, you see... The grace that we've been sold in the church that looks like codependency is not grace at all. It is really, actually, grace is really a level of self-acceptance that goes within deep, almost into the, within to the unconscious. And you are able to accept that you're accepted. And only then maybe can we hope to do more. Only then may we be able to read the Bible and, and see it in a new way. Um, but without that grace... We should probably avoid religions and cults and movements altogether um, because it will just become our self-destruction and our self-destruction projected on others. And um, my dream is to see that this world becomes a better place and not through me, but through you guys listening, that this kind of stuff will get you so happy that you'll want to talk more about it and understand it more. And then you'll go out and live it because we're a small group, kind of like the disciples. We're a small group. <laughs> and... Um, you know, I've given up hope on changing the world, but I haven't given up hope that I can hope light some sparks out there that might lead to other people to doing that change in their areas. And I mean, I see all the different states and countries represented when you guys pop up and often you'll tell me where you're, you're, you're from. And that's my hope is that we all can accept that we are accepted. I'm so grateful for Tillich. Um, it's amazing. One of my, I'll end with this. One of my favorite books is uh, that I read years ago. It's, not, it's probably not one of my favorite books now, but it's a really book that was a huge stepping stone for me was uh, Messy Spirituality. Uh, or was it Messy Faith? I think it's Messy Spirituality. Um, but when, in the book it said, um, it said, you know, well, we ought to have to, you know, people are always looking for between grace and law, grace and law, you know, and there's balance. We should have a balance there. And in it, the writer wrote, um, Mike Iaconelli wrote, uh, avoid balance at all cost. When it comes to grace, never have a balance to it. Always go off the deep end with grace. And that's why I called my one book, Fall to Grace. You know, fall into it completely. Everybody talks about falling from grace, and I don't think that that 
you know, basically when Paul said you've fallen from grace is when you go back to the law without grace. When you go back into these rituals. So when you go back into this like ritualistic spirituality is when you fall from grace. And so when you rebuild the old system uh, is when you fall from grace. You know, so I've always encouraged people to fall to grace. It's so funny is when, when, when the TV movie they made about my parents in the 80s was called Fall from Grace. And I'd be honest with you, if it was anything, it was a fall into grace for my family. And that would be a hard, hard part for people to understand, especially even given my dad's probably message today. But they had to fall into grace because they had to break free from a system. Um, everybody made their own choices after that, but I think it was a fall into grace. So... I hope you guys find grace. Listen, we've gone so long today that I am going to skip Afterglow. And I don't have Caleb here to make me do it. So I'm going to play hooky today with Afterglow. But I've read a lot of what you guys have said, and I've been really touched by it. Uh, but a lot of it's just been really encouraging stuff. And um, I love you guys, and I appreciate you, and I hope this grace is encouraging to you. And now I'm going to have to debate if I tell David about this talk or not, because I don't want him to feel like weird about it. Um, but more for me, it's just out of the complete love of his work and uh, something that he said again that moves me greatly. And so I listen to what he says. Most people say shit like that, and I don't even listen. Um, so it is important that David is really important to me, and, and that's why I found this worthy of, of talking about today. So maybe I'll share it with him, or maybe one of you guys will just share it with him. Be like, hey, did you hear this talk? <laughs> I could be very Minnesota and very passive-aggressive about it, like, but he'll know by the end. So, But everything will be great because we're all grace people, and we're all working on this acceptance. I love you all very much, and I, I wish you most, most grace and self-acceptance and accepting that you're accepted. And that we won't go through this alone. We will crime this hill together and maybe hopefully one day in person we'll be able to get together and do this. Because um, we've been talking for years about doing a get-together where we all can meet somewhere in the country and just hang out. And it looks like it might be Las Vegas one day. So we'll need lots of grace for that trip. Anyway, thanks a lot. I love you all. Um, thank you for your support with Revolution helping us out. Things are getting better here. And um, that's because of you. Thank you. Bye-bye. We'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website.